0: All right, take your Bibles, turn with me back to the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2, and um, I want to just take a moment, just remind you a little bit about this morning, um, and then we'll get into our passage tonight. So remember what we looked at this morning. And God has taken Israel and has put his chastening hand upon Israel. And you say, why was that? Well, remember. They had become a people that had become very, very prosperous. As a matter of fact, most Bible scholars will say that the prosperity that they enjoyed before the Lord began to chasten them was of the magnitude of the days of Solomon. Some would say even more than the days of Solomon. Their barns were full, their, their tables were full, their, their crops were lustrous. King Uzziah had conquered a lot of land that was fertile land. They had all the land, all the crops, all the livestock they needed. Everything was just absolutely to the hilt of prosperity. And because of that, Israel had forgot about God. And they began to turn their minds and their affection and their attention away from God. They forgot that God was the provider and God was the reason that they had what they had. And they began to turn themselves to idols again as they did time and time and time again. And so God said, listen, I'm going to show you that it's me and me alone that is your provider. And so God, in a symbolic way, in Joel chapter one, in a symbolic way of locusts, began to take away all their crops, began to take away the food from their livestock. To the point that they could not even bring sacrifices to worship the Lord, and now their their livelihood 's been taken away their, their worship 's been taken away. Does that sound like today? And then God, what did he do? He said, but, he said, I'm going to tell you in chapter 2, there's another judgment coming. It's called the day of the Lord. And it's a judgment that is unlike what you've already tasted, what you've already sampled. This judgment, I will bring an army down from the north, the Assyrians, and they will besiege you, and they will literally take everything you have, and they will destroy everything you have, and you will be a people that now not only do not have a livelihood, do not have the ability to worship, but you will become a people that now will not be able to proclaim me as God. And the nations will say, where is their God? He said, but if you repent, then I, God, will repent. And I'll turn my hand of judgment to a hand of favor. Now, what we're going to look at tonight is the outflow of true repentance, what I call the manifestation of true repentance. We looked this morning at the message and the marks and the motivation for true repentance. Tonight, I want to look at the manifestation of true repentance. What happens when you and I are a repentant people before God? Now what God does here is applying to Israel. But I want you to understand that Paul says Israel were examples unto us. And there's many times in scripture and you have to be careful of what you do and how you do this, but many times in scripture something that applied to Israel, God did as a spiritual or a shadow and type of what God is going to, how God's going to deal with the church. Let me give you an example. God told Israel, he said, I have a land called Canaan that's there for you, and you must inherit it by faith. You must trust me to inherit this land. Now, you say, well, how does that apply to the church? Well, Hebrews chapter 3 says that this land in which God gave Israel was symbolic of a life that God gave us. And that life was the person of the Lord Jesus. And the only way we walk in that life is we must inherit it by faith. Well, what we're going to see here, I believe, and what God did for Israel as they repented before God is great pictures of how God works in the church when he finds repentant hearts. And folks, listen, as I said this morning, the only hope for America is repentance. And the only hope for the church in America is repentance. And But when we repent, when we're truly a people that repent and stay repented before God, the glorious outflow of what happens is amazing. And I want us to look at that tonight. So with that being said, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Verse number 18 The Bible says, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, behold, I will send corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into the land barren and desolate with his face towards the east sea and his hinder part towards the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up up. What does that mean? His carcass, the, the stench of his carcass, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us tonight through this passage? Father, those that are here and those that are listening online, may you use this in our lives tonight. And I'll praise you and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, The manifestation of true repentance. When you come to verse 18, this chapter, the text in this chapter, absolutely diametrically changes. What's happened between verse 17 and 18? Well, they called a solemn assembly. They come to a place of crying out to God in brokenness. They've rendered their heart before God, and they came to a place of true repentance before God. And now in verse 18, God now begins to pour out and begins to acknowledge and begins to specify exactly what he is God will do for them. Why? Because they took God at his word and repented before him. This chapter now changes from a time of of lamentation and crisis to a time of salvation and vindication. And now God's going to put his hand of favor upon a people that he proclaimed. I'm going to put my hand of judgment upon You say God will do that all the time. You see, God sometimes will allow and bring forth, even in in our world today, he will bring forth those things in our lives that will strip away everything we put our confidence in, everything that's caused us to turn our heart away from God. But when we get back to the place where he is the center of everything we are, I want to tell you something, God is always, always wanting to manifest himself to his people. And this is what God does with Israel. So now in their true repentance, they begin to see the manifestation of that true repentance. I want you to look at these things with me. The first thing is the jealousness of God. The jealousness of the Lord. You say, what do you mean? Notice what it says in verse 18. Then, what does the then mean? Now that you've repented, will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. You say, what do you mean he'll be jealous for his land? This idea of the word jealous or the jealousy of God goes all the way back to Exodus when God gave the law. And you remember what he said? He said, for I am a jealous God with a godly jealousy. What does that mean? Oh, it means this, that God has set apart his people unto himself and he guards them and protects them and loves them as a bridegroom loves a bride and is protective over his bride and provides for his bride. And a bridegroom has an affection for his bride that doesn't want to share his bride with anyone or anything else. This jealousy of God you better be glad God's jealous over us with a godly jealousy. So here is, now notice the transition. God has said to him. he said, I'm bringing the army down from the north, the Assyrians. They're going to take you. They're going to besiege you. And literally a scorched earth is what you're going to be left with. But if you repent, if you repent, and now they repented, and now God says, now, now, well, I place my jealousy back upon the land? Now will I identify you as one of mine. Now will I come in and be your protector and your provider and love you as I've always loved you. Listen, God's never changed. He's never changed. Specifically, pastor, what does this mean? Why would God be jealous over his people? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. Ezekiel chapter 39 verse 25. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring back the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. Now remember in verse 17, he said if you don't repent, the nations, the heathen will look upon you and say, where is their God? and you'll be a reproach. Remember I ended this morning and I said the choice of Israel was revival or reproach. It was one or the other. And when you and I walk in repentance and revival, here's what takes place. God's name is glorified. And people see about us who God is. What was the purpose of Israel? To display to a heathen world who God was. There was only one true and living God. It was the God of Israel. And God set apart Israel to be the people that the world would say, This is who God was. Hey, if you don't believe that God's able to do that, ask Rahab how that worked. You remember the spies went in to, to Jericho and Rahab, the harlot, brought them in? And Rahab, what did she say? What took you so long? Where you been? We heard about the God of Israel. We heard about how he held back and parted the Red Sea. We heard about what he did to Pharaoh's taskmasters. Oh, we heard about God. Where you been? Let me tell you something, folks. When God puts his jealousy on his people, He's doing it for his own namesake. He's not doing it for you and I. He's doing it for his namesake. Why? Because God says you and I have been trusted with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way the world's going to know, the only way the world's going to know about who God is, is through his church. A godly jealousy. He said, I'll now identify with you again. I'll now protect you and provide for you again. Why? For my name's sake, I'm going to be jealous over you again. Now, let me ask you a question, church. Are you glad God's jealous over his children? You better be. You better be. So this community around us, Can I tell you, everywhere you go, every one of us, everywhere you go, you're saying one of two things. The world around you is saying one of two things about you. Where is their God? Or only God could do that. If there's any explanation for your life other than the supernatural work of God, here's what the world's saying. Where is their God? For his namesake, he's jealous is over us with a godly jealousy. I want you to see, secondly, not only the jealousness of the Lord, but the fruitfulness of the Lord. Notice what it says here in verse 19. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people. Now remember, he, they cried out. Back in verse 14, you remember what he said? Who knoweth that the Lord will repent and leave a blessing behind? I mean, everything's been taken from him. And, and, and Joel said, listen, we need to repent. But well, listen, God's sovereign. I don't know if he's going to repent and turn his hand of favor upon us. But we need to repent anyway because God knows. But we don't know. But we need to repent regardless. And now God's answered the prayer. And now in verse 19, he says, yea, the Lord will answer. Joel says, hey, I got an answer for you people. you repented. Listen to what God's going to do. Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil and you shall be satisfied therewith and I will no more make you approach under the heathen. Skip down to verse 22. Notice what it says. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field. Why is he addressing the beasts of the field? Well, when the locusts came and ate all the crops, the, the livestock didn't have anything to eat. They were suffering. The people were suffering. And he's saying, listen, don't be fearful people. Don't be fearful, you beasts of the field. I'm going to provide. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be fruitful. And for the pastures in the wilderness do spring. The tree beareth her fruit. The fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God for he hath given you the former rain moderately and he has caused to come down for you the rain the former rain and the latter rain in the first month and the floor shall be full of wheat and the flats shall overflow with wine and oil and I will restore unto you the years that the locust have eaten the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm my great army which i sent among you listen to what he's saying he said israel listen israel i'm going to make the land fruitful again i'm going to make it fruitful again i'm going to put your barns full again i'm going to put food on your table again i'm going to feed your livestock again and now you'll have an offering to bring unto me and now you'll find out that your fruitfulness was always from me and not from your own hands. The early and the latter rain, what is that referring to? In Israel, they have two rain seasons. And those two rain seasons primarily become the water for the year for the crops. Why is it symbolic? Because God told Israel in Deuteronomy, that if you turn away from me, I will judge you by famine and I'll cut off the water spigot of heaven and I'll cause it not to rain. So why is it significant that God now says, I'm going to bring the former and the latter rain again? Because here's what it would say to Israel. Our fellowship's been restored with God. And now God's made us fruitful again. Let me ask you a question, Liberty. Do you want the ministries of liberty to be fruitful? Only God can bring the fruit. Would you all agree with that? Say amen. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. The key to fruitfulness is repentance. Because the key to fruitfulness is abiding. You remember John 15? He's the vine, we're the what? Branches. What produces the fruit, the vine or the branches? The branches just display what God's produced. The vine's produced. But what happens when the branch gets severed from the vine? The branch withers, produces no fruit. Why? Because the life of the vine flows through the vine into the branch. And the branch bears what the vine has produced. Well, can I tell you what happens when you allow sin to stay in your life? You have broken fellowship with God. And you're no longer abiding in Him in intimate fellowship. And all of a sudden now what happens is those things you put your hand to become unfruitful in the spiritual realm. And those things that we put our hand to as a church will be unfruitful in the spiritual realm. But if you and I... Say, repent it before God. Here's what God's going to do in a spiritual way, what He done for them physically. He's going to take the land that is white to harvest, and he is going to allow you and I to be vessels through which he manifests himself, and he brings in the crops. Repentance will always lead to fruitfulness. Folks, listen that God would manifest his fruitfulness in our lives, in our church's life. Now remember, who knoweth if he will, verse 14, and now in verse 19, yea, the Lord will. Who knoweth he will, yea, the Lord will. Aren't you glad when God answers prayer? Notice thirdly, the peacefulness of the Lord. What else does true repentance produce? Well, it produces peacefulness. Now remember, what was the judgment God was going to pour out on Israel in chapter 2? The army of the north was going to come down against them and besiege them and take everything they had. But now that they've repented, what did God do? God turned his hand of judgment to a hand of favor. Now watch what it says here in verse 20. He says, but I, in other words, I'm not only going to bless your crops. He said, but I will remove far off from you the northern army, the Assyrians, and will drive him into the land barren and desolate with his face towards the east side and his hinder part towards the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Let me tell you what he says here. He said, you're going to have peace from battle. You're going to have peace from war. You're going to have peace and victory because I, God, will bring the victory. I, God, will protect you. I, God, will be to you what I've always longed to be to you, everything for you. And if God be for you, who can be? Let me ask you a question. When God saved you, did you get the victory of Christ? How many of us are walking in it? You see, here's the reality. We have it. We have it. God was always this for Israel. God never stopped being this for Israel. But when their sin got a hold of them, when they turned their backs upon the Lord, the Lord said, I will bring a heathen people against you. I'll let you be defeated. But if you're saved today, here's who the Lord is to you. He will secure you in all temptation. He is able to keep you from falling. You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So what causes us not to walk in it? Something in our lives has broken the fellowship with the one that is our victory in our life. But when we repent, when we render hearts, when we turn our whole hearts unto the Lord, what happens? Who He is now becomes reality through who we are. And He is our victory. If I asked you tonight, how many of you Want to truly, moment by moment, day by day, walk in victory over sin and flesh in your life? How many of you would raise your hand and say, yes, preacher, that's what I want? The only thing that's keeping that from happening is allowing God to purge out of us anything that is breaking our fellowship with him. You and I must trust God that he is And when we trust God that He is, then you're going to trust God that He can show you what He needs to do in you. Victory, peace. As a true saved child of God, when you succumb to temptations in your life or sin in your life, are you at peace? Now, before you answer that, let me clarify. If you can live in sin and be at peace, you're not saved. So what happens when we live in, uh, give ourselves to sin and we're truly saved? Oh, there's an unrest. There's no manifested peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. He lives in the believer, but it's not being manifested in my life. It, it's a struggle. It's a war. Flesh warring against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. I know that I'm not in right fellowship with God. And that war begins to take place. But what happens when God steps in in great victory? And all of a sudden now, that that in which you've given yourself to, God's removed and taken away. What happens now? Oh, listen, you find out that the mighty conqueror that lives within you has always been in you and has always been your conqueror. And now you begin to walk in his victory and peace begins to rule and reign your heart. Here's what he's saying to Israel. I told you that I'm sending this army down against you if you don't repent. And just as I promised you and I would have done it, I'm saying to you now, now I will destroy the very army that comes against you. My hand of judgment now has become a hand of favor. My my allowing you to be defeated has now become a protecting you in victory. And here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah says that in that day, the Bible says that 185 Assyrians were killed in one day by the hand of God. He stepped in. Why? Because the people have now turned their heart back to the Lord. Notice, fourthly, the gladness of the Lord. Look at verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Oh, listen. He's went from blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, to fear not. Rejoice, be glad. Because God's going to do some great things. Great things. Let me ask you a question. Does God want to do great things amongst us? So why doesn't he always do that? Now, I believe God's always at work. Y'all say amen. But at the same time, sometimes God manifests himself in ways that are just, we walk away and we go, Wow. If I went around the room and asked you, what does God want to do in our midst? We'd all have things that we would say God wants to do in our midst. And all those would probably be true. But I want to tell you something. What God really wants to do in our midst is beyond our fully understanding. They're mighty, supernatural, great things. And here's what he tells Israel. He says, Israel, he says, you don't need to fear Assyria. You don't need to fear judgment. You don't need to fear chastisement. He said, be glad, be glad, rejoice, for I am about to do some great things among you. Let me tell you what happens if you and I get serious about our fellowship with God. If we take this week serious, as I've encouraged you to do this morning, and you take this week and you allow it to be a week where God searches your heart and God purges you personally, and we come together corporately next Sunday, let me tell you what's going to happen. There's not going to be a grieving or a quenching of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you what's going to happen. God will be able to manifest himself in a unique and a mighty way, and we'll walk out of here, and we can't wait to tell people of the great things God has done. gladness. Here's my favorite one. The fullness of the Lord comes out of repentance. Look at verse 26. You shall eat in plenty and be what? Satisfied. Be what? I didn't hear you. Be what? Satisfied. Satisfied. In other words, I'm going to restore to you rest. You see, there's rest in his fullness. You say, what do you mean rest? Well, listen, if you're satisfied, you're at rest. If you're not at rest, you know why? You're not satisfied. You're looking for something else, somewhere else. I mean, you're always looking and looking and looking and looking. But if you're at rest, you're satisfied. In other words, here's what God said. I'm going to so bless your crops. I'm going to so bless your land that you're going to have plenty. And you're going to eat plenty. And when you sit down, you're going to be satisfied with my provision. But here's what's changed. Before, they were only satisfied. Why? Because they had plenty, but they forgot that it was God that gave the plenty. And now he says, you're going to be satisfied in not just what you have, but you're going to be satisfied in who gave it to you. You see, true repentance will produce a rest in fullness. And you say, what do you mean? True repentance will bring you to the place Where no matter what's going on in our country, no matter what's going on in our world, you're fully satisfied with the one that holds all of it in his hand. And you began to rest in the midst of COVID, in the midst of riots, in the midst of everything else. You're able to rest. Why? Because he has made you full of Himself. Notice the rejoicing in fullness. It says, and praise the name of the Lord your God. Now remember, we saw that this morning Lord your God, Yahweh Elohim, the covenant. Relationship they had with God. And here's what he says. He says now that you're, you're able to rest. You're full. Yeah, I've given you plenty. You're, you're satisfied. He says now instead of praising yourself for what you have in your barns, you'll turn your eyes up to me. You're coming to God and you'll begin to praise me again. You'll begin to see me for who I really am, who I've always been, what I've done for you, what I can only do for you. No one else can do for you what I do for you. And you'll begin to praise me, your covenant God. Listen, wouldn't it be great if every service we were able to walk out of here and say this, can I tell you what God did? Can I just praise the Lord a little bit for what he done today? There's a rejoicing when you're full. Because you realize who gave you the fullness. Notice the recognition of fullness. He says, you'll praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dwelt wondrously with you. In other words, you'll never forget. You won't go back. You won't forget who has dealt so graciously with you. Let me ask you a question. Has God dealt wondrously with you? Why wouldn't we praise him? You see, when I'm satisfied in him, then I realize he's my provider. And when I am realize he's my provider, I realize how wondrous he's been to me. Let me ask you a question. What God have to do to protect you before he saved you? What God have to do to draw you to himself? Folks, listen. If God just saved us and never done anything else for us, he's dealt wondrously with us. But yet he continues to graciously and mercifully can intervene in our affairs and graciously and mercifully pr- provide and protect and give us grace for every situation of life. Oh, listen, he's dealt wondrously with us, and you'll recognize it with a repentant heart. Lastly, the restoration of fullness. He says, and my people shall never be ashamed. What's he referring to? Well, he's going back to what he told them, that if they don't repent, he said the enemy will come against you, and they'll take you under their charge, verse 17, and you'll be a reproach unto the heathen, and as a reproach, they'll say, where is their God? He said, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to have to worry about that. Why? Because I'm your God, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to continue to treat you wondrously, and I'm going to manifest myself, and I'm going to be your victory. And there'll never be a time where the world will be able to say, where is their God? Wouldn't it be great that we were in such fellowship with God because we're continuously repenting before Him, that your neighbor or your family members or your coworkers would walk up to you and say, I don't understand you. You're different. The only explanation I have for you is the Lord. Can you tell me about him? I want to tell you, read the book of Acts. That's evangelism in Acts. They turned the world upside down for the Lord Jesus, and people came to them and said, What must we do to be saved? You'll never be ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Israel, you won't be a reproach as long as you stay repentant. Well, lastly, in closing, notice the oneness with the Lord. Verse 27. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. Do you find that an odd statement to make to those that are his? That you shall know, then you shall know, that my presence is in your midst. A.W. Tozer said there'd never be a revival in America until there's a revival of a consciousness of the presence of God. One of the things I love about liberty... Is when we have visitors and I get to meet with them or take them out to eat or whatever it may be to get to know them. One of the things I continuously hear from visitors when they, when they come multiple times to Liberty is this statement. They'll say to me over and over again, I just sense the presence of God there. Let me ask you a question. You see, the presence of God is always where the people of God are. You say, how is that? Because he lives in you. Listen, let me tell you how I know the presence of God is here. I brought him. And you did too, if you're saved. See, it's not a matter, is the presence of God here? Here's what's the matter. Is he manifesting that presence? See, to know that I'm in the midst... It's not to have a educational knowledge. Well, he's in me. I'm here. He's in the midst. No, no. Here's what he means, that you'll know that I'm in the midst. In other words, let me tell you something, Israel. I'm going to manifest myself among you. I'm going to make myself known among you. I'm going to show myself mighty among you. I'm going to be a god to you, and you're going to be a people to me. And I'm going to show you and remind you that all along, even when you turn your back up on me, all along I've been right here. Ready to manifest myself among you. Oneness. And that I am the Lord your God, your covenant keeping God. And none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. You know, folks. One of the things that I desire and long to see is that every time we darken these doors and every time we leave these doors, we'll be able to say with a true heart, God manifested himself today. He did some great things." among us but sometimes we bring baggage in and we can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit and God who longs to manifest himself won't not because he's up there holding back and saying I'm only going to manifest myself if I have to oh no Can I tell you, God's out there with open arms, ready, willing, always longing to manifest his presence. And sometimes God supernaturally does it in spite of us. Aren't you glad for that? Say amen. But sometimes God's waiting for a people that's rendered their hearts, got broken, cried out to God in repentance. And can I tell you something? You study the Scriptures. Whenever God finds repentant hearts, he always manifests himself. Now, he may manifest himself in different ways at different times. Yes, that's true. But he always manifests himself. Y'all say amen. So here's, your, here's my prayer as your pastor. That we wouldn't live off of what God has done. We would long for what God wants to do. And we would long for it in such a way that we would be willing to let God search our very inner being. And let us see anything we need to see that would cause us not to be rightly connected to the vine. That God's life could flow through us in peace, fruitfulness, fullness, gladness, and oneness. And we could leave every time saying, oh, I just want to praise the Lord because he done some great things today. That's what repentance produces. Father, I come to you tonight. Father, as I prayed in the earlier service, I'm hungry to see you manifest yourself in supernatural and mighty ways. You're a living God. You're always at work. Even when we can't see, you're always at work. But Father, those days that you manifest yourself in a way where brokenness and repentance and salvation become obvious. Where people look at us and can't explain us, but by the supernatural work of Your hand. That's what I long for in these dark days. Because, Father, truth be known, this world, as blind as they are, if they could just see the light, the light that you shine through your church, maybe they'll realize that their peace is not found in claiming their rights, but their peace is only found in a person Jesus the Christ and we would be the light that you would shine through so father I pray you would find in us a repentant heart a broken and contrite spirit a willingness That would say, Lord, whatever you need to do in me, that you can do through us what you desire to do. Here I am. Here I am. Father, I pray you'd begin with me. Because, Father, even today you've showed me some things. where I've stood in the way of what you want to do in this church. Father, I'm sorry. Continue to show me. Don't ever stop showing me. And don't ever stop showing us. Because we desperately, desperately want to know the great things you want to do. And I'll praise you and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,